This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. Today on the podcast, Yonzi of the Icelandic ambient group Sigurose will talk about moving to LA. I'm gonna. I'm trying to get more into the pop pop world. We'll hear about the first solo record by Sonic Youth's Kim Gordon. I grew up listening to an early Dylan records. <laughs> I just thought I'm just gonna make a song that sort of comments about. Shit but in sort of a abstract, poetic way. We'll continue our series Day Job, where we hear how musicians juggle their passion with their 9 to 5. Today, we meet a musician who works at a call center in order to get by. People say, you're way too creative to be working here. I get told that by people I work with. Then we'll hear about a program coming to Seattle to financially support musicians. Black Fret um, seems like it's the most elegant option I've seen to date to quickly get some money into some musicians' pockets. But first, let's hear about the new album by Vagabond. Vagabond is a stage name of Leticia Tamko. She released a new album last week. Tamko produced almost the entire album herself. And she's figured out how to do a lot of things on her own. Tamko immigrated to the United States from Cameroon at the age of 13 and taught herself English by watching reruns of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And she learned guitar through video tutorials. The very first guitar I owned, uh, my parents got from Costco. (laughs) And I just watched the DVD that it came with and I learned the major chords and then just been I just use YouTube a lot to be honest to like learn every instrument that I know. Tamco came up in the Brooklyn DIY scene. Her 2017 album Infinite Worlds brought her critical acclaim which was surprising to her. It was definitely unexpected. I kind of put that record out with the intention of just getting more shows and having something to show people so that they can book me more for shows and it kind of blew up way bigger than I thought. Tamco was working as an engineer at the time. She wanted to go to music school, but also came from a family of academics. She was told by her parents that she should get a job that was practical. But lately, she's been able to be a musician full-time. Her latest album was originally titled All the Women in Me. It's a line taken from a poem. The full line is, all the women in me are tired. The first time I saw those words together was in, a year, in the Yura Wahid poem, and it really struck me, reading those words, knowing that the, the poet was a black woman, and in the specific moment that we're in, where like our, I mean, everything is so awful right now, and, and not knowing how to talk about it, in didn't didn't want to talk about it online or anything because that that isn't really the way that I wanted to have a discourse and so I read those words all the women in me are tired and I just picked up my guitar and I like wrote this song in a couple minutes and it just kind of flowed out of me and it's all the things that I have conversations about in my regular life with my friends with people that I meet and I really wanted to to put that anger somewhere and and put that solidarity somewhere and and just have something that like makes me feel like I have power and I have a say and makes other people feel like that too. That line still appears in the song Every Woman. It's on Vagabond's self-titled album which was just released. Evening starts when I'm done. 
just kick up their feet prior Cause we're not afraid of the war we brought on And we're steady while holding you all This is Sound and Vision. One of the founding members of Sonic Youth is out with the new solo record. KEXP's Dusty Henry has more. Throughout her 38 years working in music, Kim Gordon has consistently been at the precipice of what's next. Her band Sonic Youth, which formed in 1981, continues to be a touchstone for modern music. The group's classic albums like Daydream Nation and Goo became a blueprint for what would later be labeled alternative music. They had vicious guitar riffs and tones, as well as Gordon's almost spoken word vocal delivery. Before and after the band's breakup in 2011, Gordon has continued to push boundaries. She's created avant-garde soundscapes with her band Bodyhead, wrote candidly about her life in the New York Times bestselling memoir Girl in a Band, showcased her artwork in the Andy Warhol Museum, and the list goes on and on. One thing she hasn't done these past 38 years is release a solo album. That changed last week with her debut album, No Home Record. What am I? Just not a girl. Like everything she's done, No Home Record sheds nostalgia in favor of something completely new. It's a record packed with noisy distortion and mangled riffs, held together by gritty electronic production. Hearing it out of context, you'd assume her contemporaries were modern acts like JPEG Mafia and Eve's Tumor, instead of Nirvana or the Pixies. Gordon wasn't seeking a solo project. In 2016, producer Justin Raisin sent her a demo of what she calls trashy drum loops and sampling some of Gordon's vocal outtakes. Quickly identifying a kindred spirit, the two got to work on what would become the song Murdered Out. It's kind of more like um, contrasting my more sort of lo-fi or sort of trashy aesthetic with Justin's kind of electronic knowledge and he likes to take things really far and extreme and kind of junk up electronics with sounds and I like that. <laughs> I just seem to kind of go together. There are looming themes on the record having to do with displacement like Gordon returning to her hometown of Los Angeles, but finding the city to be a different place from when she left. In a conversation we had this week, here's how Gordon described L.A. L.A. is about money and good times. Um, L.A. I think of as adventure, seeking your fortune, or gold, gold digging. Uh, it's also, I think, people go because it, they think it's some kind of uh, haven or utopia or like New York, there's a lot of mythology around it, and I feel like it's exported a lot of its aesthetics and, you know, health food and body consciousness. I I mean, obviously, that's universal now in many ways in urban centers, but I feel like it was some, there's something um, they kind of started there 
and um, now it's sort of <laughs> out of control. <laughs> um, like, you know, the the, the line, uh, get your life back, except just seeing like a sign, a sandwich sidewalk sign in um, Atwater, which is pretty hipster, and that had these plastic letters that said, get your life back yoga. And I don't know, it just made me think about how everything can be branded now. In a plastic sign, you get your life back. Plastic sign, get your life back yoga. On the song Get Your Life Back, you go back and forth between talking about the end of capitalism and this imagery of blood overflowing in the streets, contrasted with doing yoga and fake eyelashes and cocoa butter. Hash away at Twitter. It feels like a pretty pressing point, like the contrast of lifestyle and wellness marketing with the often chaotic world we live in. Can you kind of speak more about like what you were observing and what inspired these lyrics and what you were thinking about them? Well, there's a lot of, you know, just an insane amount of homeless people in L.A. (laughs) And it's, I wouldn't say that it's quite seems normalized, but I mean, the hovels are, have grown and become quite elaborate. And so it's almost like, becoming this permanent situation because things can't be done fast enough about it. But at the same time, it's next to a juice place or like a coffee place that sells $4 coffees or... I don't know. I grew up listening to an early Dylan records. <laughs> I just thought, I'm just going to make a song that sort of comments about shit, but in sort of a abstract poetic way, basically. And so I just started collecting these lines and it was kind of interesting just the way they brushed up against each other. I feel bad for you. I feel bad for me. Get your life back, yoga. Uh, there's an interesting dichotomy on, on the song Airbnb, where you're singing about this kind of placid, homogenous comfort of these rental spaces backed with, you know, the mangled guitars. And you express like a fascination with that whole model, with how every Airbnb has the same decor. and. In the song, you call it a, an American idea. Could you talk a bit more about that and what like the Airbnb idea like symbolizes to you? Well, the American idea thing, I just kind of threw in because <laughs> maybe I'd run out of lyrics, but I I read somewhere that Trump had copyrighted that slogan or those two words, American idea, and I was like, wow, <laughs> that's fascinating. But it is um, kind of a different, I guess, you could say, like, because people, I guess, and especially, like, younger people, or I guess refer to them as millennials, you know, they can't afford to buy houses, but they know what a good lifestyle is, and um, that you can, you know, get a place for a weekend, or, you know, if you're traveling, and it's sort of like advertising a certain haven, or something i i just became interested in looking at these images of airbnbs online 
because everything seemed to match and things seemed to, over the years, get kind of more and more generic. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting idea to, to think like, you, you might not be able to, to buy the American idea, but you can, you can rent it for a weekend. That was KEXP's Dusty Henry speaking with Kim Gordon about her new solo album. It's called No Home Record. This is Sound and Vision. We're continuing our series called Day Job, where we hear from local musicians on what they do outside of their passion to make ends meet financially. Today, Sound and Vision assistant producer Hans Anderson introduces us to musician Isaac Mello, whose 9 to 5 is answering phones at a call center. One way to get a hold of Isaac Mello is to call your local internet provider. Right now, I work full-time in a call center. Uh, I've been working in a call center for an internet service provider for the last three years. The last couple years, being a full-time worker, full-time student, and full-time artist has been a lot. My name is Isaac Mello. I'm a trans non-binary artist from Everett, Washington. I am 23 years old, recently just relocated out to Seattle, Washington. I play bass in the band Sunday Crush and also put out my own music under the name Isaac Mello. Isaac recently moved from Everett to Seattle. They live in a house venue called Werewolf Vacation. We put on monthly shows in the University District featuring avant-garde performance and live music and comedy that is very queer prioritizing and queer inclusive. It's an artistic community, one that is collaborative and supportive. And for Isaac, that's really important. Art is their passion, and there's no place they'd rather come home to after taking calls all day. They can express themselves and be known, which contrasts with their day job. The people at my workplace do know that I make music, and they don't really know how I do it, I think. I get that impression a lot where people will say, you're way too creative to be working here. I get told that by people I work with, and at the same time, I get told by people, you're way too smart to be working here. Isaac originally took this job because it paid more than the hardware store they were working at. But they quickly began to spend more money and became reliant on their wage, which they now regret. They feel stuck in an exhausting routine. This job has been a continuous force in stagnating me as an artist, I think. It's a large strain to go to work from 8.30 in the morning to 5 p.m., drive straight home, go to band practice within 15 minutes, practice until 8, 8.30 p.m., come home, make dinner, do schoolwork, and then rinse and repeat, basically. Isaac one day wants to start a record label that pays artists a living wage so they can spend less time working at places like call centers and more time creating. That's what's really important to them. In the short term, though, they just want to work part-time. 
Isaac hopes to be financially secure enough to get a new job soon with fewer hours so they can spend more time making music and building a life they want. And I need to just hold on to that creative piece of me and know that if I'm going to make it and be able to give back to my community and live a comfortable life where I don't have to be shelling out everything I have just to make ends meet, it's only going to come from being an artist. This story was produced by Bree Ripley, Ryan Sparks, and me, Hans Anderson, for KEXP's Sound and Vision. Special thanks to Isaac Mello. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Speaking of needing a day job to be able to survive as a musician in Seattle, we are now going to talk about a program that's about to come to the city to help financially support musicians. It's called Black Fret. It started in Austin, Texas. It's membership-based, and members get to see local bands perform intimate private shows for them. And at the end of the year, money from those membership fees are given out to musicians. Last year, Black Fret Austin was able to give out $20,000 grants to 10 different musicians or bands and smaller $5,000 grants to another 10 bands or musicians. That money helps fund tours or fees to make a record. Hi, my name is Ben London, and I'm the executive director of Black Fret Seattle. What is Black Fret? So Black Fret is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit that started in Austin, Texas, a little over five years ago. And uh, the premise was that they felt local music should be supported, local popular music, the same way that the opera, the symphony, the ballet has been historically. So they created this entity that created experiences, live music experiences for donors that then in turns around get aggregated out in grant form to musicians to support things like making records, going on tour, the sort of professional development that's sort of atrophying in the curtain, in the curtain. A musical landscape. You know, I talked with um, Ian Moore, mm-hmm. um, who does is helping start a program to provide healthcare for musicians. Smash here in Seattle, and it was it was it was um, kind of replicated off of a similar program in Austin. So it just seems like Austin in general really really supports their musicians. It, it, they do, but you know they have challenges as well. Um, Yes, there is this sort of symbiotic relationship between Austin and Seattle, that they're similar cities. They're not L.A. or Los Angeles, but they have a great music culture and a great music core. And I think it's something that our cities value. So we want to make sure that that doesn't evaporate as the cities go through growth and change and and, uh, welcome in all these other uh, industries and things that are, are changing the way our city uh, feels. But I feel like in general, Austin has come up with programs before Seattle has to really, really support musicians. Are there other things that are happening in Austin that we can also look to them and say, maybe we should be also be doing something like this in Seattle? Uh, very much so. I think that uh, they just announced, uh, and I don't know all the specifics of this, but um, the the city is going to uh, allocate three or four million dollars to the to support l- local music in the community, understanding that it's harder and harder as rents go up for clubs to operate 
music and musicians to operate. They have a lot of these nonprofit structures like HAM, you mentioned, the a, a clinic that's specifically to support musicians, things of that nature. What Seattle has maybe more that Austin doesn't have that they're jealous of, though, is we have more music business infrastructure. So we have... Well, A, we have KXP. We've got this amazing uh, conduit that, that broadcasts to the world and is a great magnifying glass. We have the sub pops. We have a ton of venues. We have, you know, not only the national Live Nations and AEGs, but we have the Seattle Theater Group and independent venues and all of those sorts of things. And um, they'd love to have some of what we have. But um, what we see long term about the possibility of Black Fred is that it started in Austin. We're the test market for expansion. We could see this going to other cities, but then we can create connectivity between these cities and make sure that if a Seattle artist is going down to Austin for the first time, they're actually playing in front of people. If they're going to spend the money to get down there, they're not just going on vacation. They're actually working and going down there. And and that's the challenge these days for musicians. Everybody wants to go on tour, but uh, if you're not playing for anybody, you're, you're just taking a leisure trip. So, so let's say, you know, January 2020, Black Fret Seattle is going to kick off. And let's say a year or two down the line, like what would success look like to you? How would how would it function? You know, if, if I'm someone that's thinking about becoming a member, if I'm an artist that wants to benefit from this, like what does success look like for you? I think what success looks like is that in 2020, a member will get to come to 12 privately curated events highlighting the best and brightest of local Seattle music, not tied to a specific genre. And then uh, at the end of that year, we'll have a gala in January of 2021 where we'll give away our first grant dollars and we'll start the cycle all over again. And the success will be that every year we're giving out more money, we're impacting the success of more artists, and giving uh, people, creating new pathways for forgiving and support within the music community that don't currently exist. Why do you think this is so important to be having this program here in Seattle, especially at this moment of time? Bringing Black Fret to Seattle is incredibly important just because music is such an essential part of the culture of our city and has been. But at the same time, our city is going through unprecedented growth, um, which I'm not complaining about. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in a city in decline and a city in growth. People complain just as much. But with that being said, um, just there's economic factors that are making it harder and harder for musicians to survive. And that when the cost of living hits parity with places like Los Angeles or San Francisco, we're seeing more of our musicians head to these places because they uh, th- there's the perception or the reality that there's more opportunity for them. And personally, um, I don't want to live in a city where music is not a big part of it. And uh, I just see, I've lived the life and I see younger musicians or musicians in general, the challenges they are facing in a world where, which I call the sort of triple threat, that you have the raising cost of living, the demonetization of recorded music where streaming revenue is not caught up. And the third thing is there's been some changes in the concert business where local artists aren't really put on uh, national tours the way they once were to support acts. So it's sort of how do you build a career when all you're doing is putting money out and there's really not much money coming in. And so Black Fret um, seems like it's the most elegant option I've seen to date to quickly get some money into some musicians' pockets. And, and it, you don't have to wait on the government to do anything or a city government or anything. Well, I would love it if the government was involved. But unfortunately, today, the U.S. has not really taken the attitude that Canada or Australia or the U.K. have in supporting arts as a major export. And, um, you know, if you live in Canada, you can already get grants to make records and do a lot of these things. And we don't have that opportunity here. But at the same time, you know, when you when you ask somebody about Seattle, uh, what do they usually say? They say Starbucks, they say Amazon, and then they say uh, Nirvana or music or things that. I mean, it's one of the reasons that people travel here. And uh, as 
as our, our friend James Campbell always says, it's not just Seattle's good looks. It's not just the mountains and the trees and the water. It really is this sense that you're coming to this vibrant hub where you can have great food and great music and great outdoor experiences and great cultural experiences. And if you one part of that system atrophies, then you really lose the character of what makes this region. Anything else you want to add on Black Fret um, as we kind of start wrapping things up here? I think Black Fret can be successful if we can engage the entire community to come together and realize that we can't wait for a perfect solution to drop from the sky, that if we all invest a little bit, we can ensure that this continues to be a vital region for music and arts and culture, and that it's incumbent on us. If we live here, um, we pay taxes for the streets, we pay taxes for fire and police, This isn't a tax, but if we support our arts and culture, then that's uh, increasing our quality of life. And I think that Black Fret is the the best conduit today that I've seen that can do this quickly. And uh, I guess lastly, I'd say that I just feel like where we are right now, we're in a little bit of a triage situation, that the Bay Area has become a cautionary tale of what can happen to a city, and um, uh, particularly a city that was known for its vibrancy and its arts and culture, and has really become a monoculture over the last five or ten years. And uh, I think that we don't have to do that. We can learn from what they've done and that we can invest and we can ensure that this is a city that that represents uh, the best and brightest of of creatives. And Black Fret, um, to me, is the most elegant solution I've seen to date as a starting point to do this. I've been speaking with Ben London, executive director of Black Fret Seattle. Ben London, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Yonzi and Alex Summers are in the middle of their North American tour. They've gathered an entire orchestra to come together and perform their 10-year-old album, Rice Boy Sleeps. Yonzi is best known for his whale-like vocals as frontman of the Icelandic group Sigur Rós. Alex Summers is a visual artist and musician. While originally from Boston, he formed a romantic and creative partnership with Yonzi 16 years ago. We actually didn't intend to make a record. We were just two people that met and came together and immediately started just doing what we do, you know, making music, sampling things. Um, we never, None of this music was recorded in a recording studio. It was just being made in our bedroom or in our kitchen, in our living room. All the other players who weren't us were just personal friends. Uh, It was very DIY, just like a homemade record being made on and off for about five years. Yet shortly before this tour started, Yonzi and Alex broke up romantically. Yonzi says it hasn't been awkward to be touring with an ex, and Alex agrees. It's actually been really good. We never fight, we work really well together. Yeah, maybe we we bicker a lot when we work together, but we always kind of see eye to eye, and we kind of have the same taste and stuff, so it's been pretty easy working with you, Alex. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of care and love and support for each other and very a lot of gentleness. And, you know, we, yeah, we'll always be very much in each other's lives and we have family and it's just, yeah, it's going to be really good. Yonzi says it was just time to move on to another phase in life separately. We have had an amazing 16 years together and now it's just something new and exciting going to happen to both of us, I think. And Yonzi is indeed moving on to something new. He has relocated from Iceland to Los Angeles because... I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get more into the pop, pop world. 
He's working on a new solo album, which will feature a collaboration with the Swedish pop star Robin. A release date for Yonzi's solo record has not yet been released. Meanwhile, here's a track off of Yonzi and Alex's album, Rice Boy Sleeps. Special thanks to KEXP's Jasmine Albertson for grabbing this interview while the duo was in town last week performing. Their tour wraps up in New York at the end of the month. This is Sound and Vision. Since Yonzi and Alex's music is so ambient and calming, it inspired this week's listener question. We asked, what is your go-to song to calm you down and why? Here are just a few answers. So my name is Ellison. I'm from Seattle, Washington. And a song that calms me down is Hippie Pola by Sigaros. I remember first hearing it when I was an angsty teenager in college and really struggling with everything, um, the weight of the world, which was grades and what I was going to do with my life and um, some healthy mental health issues. And I remember the time I, I really heard the song for the first time was when I was doing this driving around aimlessly in a borrowed car with the windows rolled down and the music up loud and the heat on really high. And that song, which was track three, just really took me away and it made me feel like I didn't have all of that pressure on me anymore and that everything was just okay. And all through college, I would listen to it often, a lot of times doing silly things like lying on the floor, just listening to it really loud because it made me feel better. And I kind of forgot about it uh, until recently when it was like a week ago, someone on KXP played it and I was in the car going backpacking this time. And it just reminded me of all those times lying on the floor and driving around and how great it made me feel. Hi, this is Hugh Vanderveer from Indianapolis, Indiana. I really focus on the song True Faith by New Order uh, whenever I really need to confront some stress head on. Story goes, when I was in college, the song was really popular. It had that weird video. I can only talk about like maybe junior year. And I, I guess it, I call it like a mental breakdown. I just the stress of college and life and everything was really getting to me. I remember being in my dorm room and just throwing that song on repeat. And I don't normally listen to songs on repeat, but that was really, you know, kind of what I needed at that moment. And it really kind of helped. And now years later, I mean, the distance of it reminds me that, you know, I came out on the other side and I had a better understanding of myself and dare I say it, a lot more confidence to face, you know, whatever might confront me. I faced a lot, a lot more worse problems since that time in my dorm room, but I always go back to that song, My New Order. It helps give me some perspective and it makes me realize that, hey, this too shall pass and I'm okay.
my name is Kendall. I'm from Western Washington, but I'm currently living in Santiago, Chile. I've been here for about a year and a half. And the song that calms me down, that chills me out is Home Again by Carol King. And the reason for that is because while I love my lifestyle here and I've, I've chosen it and it's very rewarding, it's also very challenging. And that's because it's hard to make new friends and meet new people. I also work from home, so that's probably a factor as well. Um, so it can feel really isolating at times. And uh, whenever I feel that way, that song, Home Again by Carol King, never fails to give me that warm feeling of being home. So it's something I always turn to whenever I'm feeling down. Snow. Thanks to everyone who wrote in at soundandvision at kexp.org with their response to this week's listener question. And let's wrap up the show with our final question. Why does music matter? Here's Yonzi and Alex. It's why where I am where I am now. <laughs> and it's been just, um, I don't know, guiding light through my whole life. And... It's been a path I'm still on, and it's guiding me somewhere, (laughs) hopefully to the light. (laughs) Um, I think music matters because it's, you can't touch it. It's just this thing that's existing in, you know, not really in normal linear time and space, and it moves you, it helps you when you're down, it fuels what you're going through, it surprises you, you can come back to the same pieces of music many phases in your life and hear them differently that's pretty profound experience that we've all had um and even in times like this where Yonsei mentioned in this interview that we're like going through separation like like it's so beautiful to have music there to pour everything into and create music and share it and um hopefully yeah just spark newness in the world and create waves of something positive and something new and creative and yeah this is kind of amazing it's invisible but it still moves people in like profound way and people kind of don't know why it's just kind of <laughs> amazing yeah it's like purely instinctual you don't need to know anything to play music or to create music or to listen to music or to engage with it it's just like this thing that we all have it's really cool Thanks for listening to Sound and Vision, and special shout-out to Ryan and someone who wrote in with the name HCS. They wrote a review recently for the Sound and Vision podcast on Apple Podcasts. I cannot tell you how much writing reviews, subscribing, and rating this podcast really does to help allow other people to discover this show. It really means a lot if you would just take a minute of your time and do that now. And KEXP would also love to see a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound. I would love to be thanking you on this show next week for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Thanks so much for listening, and let's chat next week.